Today's reading is from the first Samuel chapter 17, verse 40 to 47. It's talk about a little scrawny kid go ahead against a giant that nobody wanted to fight. Then he took his staff in his hand, choose five stones from the steam, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and will be sling in his hand, approach the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearing in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and it will give all of you into our hands. Good morning, church. I need to tell you I'm happy to be here. I remember hearing a gentleman one day, one time say he was happy to be anywhere. But I'm happy to be home in my home congregation, home at my house, because last Sunday morning, my brother-in-law, Stacy's brother, brother Lance in Rivers, uh, gave us the nickname of the Road Warriors. And I had to kind of think about that for a little bit because I've preached in Brandon twice this month. I've been to Lake Kenosi to the 50, uh, we have been to Lake Kenosi to the 55 plus, uh, camp. We made a flying trip in and out of Regina. We were there for an hour and a half and home. Then we were up to Dauphin, picked up some grandkids and brought them home, and they've been with us for the last several days. So I am glad to be here and glad to be home for the next while. When Saul was king of Israel, his army faced the Philistines, who had the ultimate weapon, a fighting man by the name of Goliath. Now, Goliath was no ordinary warrior. He was a giant. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, probably weighing in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 pounds. Now, I want to compare that because during playoff hockey, I don't watch it all the time, but I watch playoff hockey uh, religiously almost, and I like to watch, I think his name is Zdeno or Zdeno Chara who plays for the Boston Bruins. Now, Chara is a pretty big boy. In his skates, he's probably about seven feet tall, and he weighs in the neighborhood of uh, 255 pounds. When you watch Chara on the ice, not many of the other professional hockey players will go up against him to try and check him, because when they do, they usually go down. I recall one time seeing Chara checked and knocked down by one of the other players, but that's the only one I do remember. Goliath was almost three feet taller 
and much heavier. He had been taunting the armies of God, and no one, not one of the soldiers of Saul, was willing to go out and fight this man until David, the shepherd boy, came along. And I've always liked that account in 1 Samuel 17 of David going against the Philistine giant. And that's true, by the way, very true, every word. Show and tell time today. I don't have many things in my office. I have a few eagles because it's my favorite bird, Isaiah 40. And I have this. This comes from the brook in the valley of Elah where David slew the giant. Five stones. They were given to me. Convince my brother and friend from Israel with love, Dale E., my brother Dale Elford. And so that stays in my study. Why did David choose five smooth stones? Why did he put those in his shepherd's bag? It wasn't because David didn't think he could do the job with one stone. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 16, it names four other giants. And it says in verse 22, these four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, these four, David didn't kill himself. It was his mighty men, the fighting men, that killed these giants. And so it makes me think, I wonder if David chose four more just in case the giant's sons were back there in the army as well of the Philistines. I don't know that, but it's interesting to me that David chose five smooth stones. My battle, or my sermon topic, as you can see, it comes from verse 47, and thanks, Wayne, for leading that hymn. The battle is the Lord's. Now, let's talk about the battle for just a little bit here. In this life, we face many battles. Some of those battles may be physical, but I think most of the battles that we face in life are spiritual. And I want to talk just a little bit about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the, one of the best kings that Judah had in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, he was, by the way, he was 25 years old when he, he began to reign, fairly young man. He reigned 29 years, it says, uh, in Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he, Hezekiah, did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him... There was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Now, in verse 5, that he trusted in the Lord, in the Old Testament, that word can also be translated as faith. He had faith in God. 
And no doubt what he did as a leader, and just because he was king, don't believe that people would not approve of every deed he did. When he cut down that that Asherah, or that the Asherah, the the uh, the things that the people were worshiping at, it would have went against public opinion. They would not have liked that because they had become so ingrained in their lifestyle of their their worship of these idols. And so Hezekiah had faith in God. And I was reading just the other day a little bit more about Hezekiah being delivered from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And when the king had sent uh, his envoy, the Rabshakeh, to taunt Israel, he was saying, don't trust in God. And he was, he was talking to them in the language that all the people understood. And Hezekiah's negotiator said, speak to us in Arama- Aramaic, because the people did not, all, all of them did not understand that. And the, and the Rabshakeh said, no, I'm going to talk to all of you because you are doomed to eat your own dung and drink your own urine. And so you have to hear this message. We are going to come and destroy this place. And we are going to destroy you. And the Rabshakeh said, God has not been able to deliver all these other mighty nations of which Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, has come against. And he named all these different nations, powerful nations, that had been destroyed by Assyria. And so they were a mighty fighting machine in their day and age. But the mistake they made is they taunted the living God. And so Hezekiah prayed before God, and his prayer alone is an example for the rest of of mankind to read his prayer of faith as he goes in. And by the way, I like the fact that he told his men, don't answer him a word. And I thought, what a lesson. Here's these fellows taunting God, taunting the Israelites. And Hezekiah said to his men, don't answer them a word. And I thought, what a good good way that is when we face people who want to be, be uh, against us and get into a war of words and say things that all of a sudden our temperature just keeps coming, coming up and we start turning red from the neck up and finally we say something that we wish we hadn't have said later on when we have cooled off. And Hezekiah said to his men, don't answer them a word. And his men came back and told him, and Isaiah went in and knelt down and he prayed and said, God, listen to what this man has said. And almost immediately, Isaiah is sent to him, the prophet, and said, 185,000 men of the army of, of Sennacherib died. It was a miraculous thing. Uh, Herodotus uh, talked about this in his history. And he said it, was, it might have been a virulent plague of mice or rats. Whatever it was, 185,000 of these men died. Sennacherib went back to his city and two of his sons came in and killed him while he was worshipping his God. The point 
of what I'm trying to say here is that when God is on our side, we are in the majority. But in order to be in that majority, we need to be members of the Lord's army. And we have to have faith, because there is a spiritual battle that is raging. And that battle is taking place even as we speak. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, as he wrote in the first century, almost 2,000, about 2,000 years ago. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes or the tricks of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is a battle that has raged down through the centuries. At times, we get a glimpse into that battle in the things that mankind does to each other. Sometimes, and oftentimes, even in the name of religion. And many years ago, even in the name of Christianity, the atrocities that were visited upon other people. Wayne led us in that beautiful old hymn that says, Our ancient foe, the devil, does work to do us woe. That is so true. It was true when it was written. It is true today. We are in a spiritual battle that has eternal consequences. And we need to understand that Christianity is not a religion. In fact, I don't think it's a compliment. If people were to say that you or I, and name our names, is a religious person, I don't want people to view me as a religious person. The reason for that is that I'm not religious. I'm a sinner. I'm redeemed. And when I hear about religious people, I think of certain robes or clothes that are to, to portray that image. I think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who dressed with tassels and various things, who prayed so that people could see them praying. No, we are not to be a religious people, because Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a way of life. It's not just on Sunday going to church. It's how you and I live our lives every day, how we treat other people, how we conduct ourselves when we are called upon to either be dishonest or to have integrity. When David was selected to succeed Saul as king, God said to the prophet Samuel, who had been looking at the impressive sons of Jesse as they trooped by him. Finally, David came in, the youngest of them. And God said to Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. Now David, it says, was ruddy. And that, that description means that he was red-haired, which was quite different in the society he lived in where most people 
had darker colored hair. He was ruddy, red-haired, and it says he was handsome in appearance. But God said it's not because he's a red-haired, handsome young man. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And what an encouragement that is, because not all of us are knockout good-looking people. But you know, that's all right, because looks don't count for much, at least with God. What counts is your heart condition. It has to do with how in tune your heart and your mind is with God. Jesus said that it is not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth, his heart, that defiles him. Matthew 15, verse 11. And so there is a battle that is going on. But let's talk about the giants in life. David faced one that was, to say the least, terrifying. And by the way, you'll notice that David ran to meet the giant. He was not afraid. So, But I ask you, what are the giants in your life? Because all of us have some giants that we must deal with. Maybe your giant has been a recent diagnosis of cancer, or maybe of some other dread disease. Maybe your giant is a broken relationship. Maybe your giant is some family problems that you are going through at this time in life. Maybe your giant is financial difficulties, and you're wondering how in the world you're ever going to get out of this situation. Several months ago, in one of my uh, morning devotional readings, I read an account of a man in the U.S. of A. who was told he had liver cancer and that he would not last until Thanksgiving in November. So, what did he do? In December, he threw a big Christmas party. At Easter time, he had a big celebration with his family. He celebrated July 4th, which is always much bigger in the U.S. than July 1 is here in Canada. And shortly, he was making plans for Thanksgiving the following year when he finally passed away. But shortly before that, shortly before his passing, he made an appointment with his dentist to get his teeth fixed. I love that kind of attitude. He was living for today, and he was leaving the future to God. That's the kind of attitude that I think we are called upon as Christians to have. But let me contrast this, because I thought of this as I was thinking about this man. A few years ago, I had a man phone me up, and he was actually crying on the phone. And he said, he told me that, that, uh, he had turned completely yellow, his body, and that he'd gone to see his doctor, and the doctor took a look at him, and I don't know what kind of tests he did, but whatever the case, and however this happened, this man said, I have liver cancer, and the doctor has told me to get my house in order because I'm only going, and I forget how long he said he was going to last, a month or two, whatever it was. And, and he said, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm right with God. 
And so we talked for a while on the phone. He lived in another city. And we made arrangements that he was supposed to call me back when he had a little bit of time. I was working for the city of Winkler at the time. And I said, I will come to where you live. But I need a little bit of time to do that. So I will drive to where you live and we'll talk about what you need to do in order to make sure that your life is right with God. Well, I didn't hear from him for about three weeks. And here's a fellow that had been given a diagnosis that he was going to pass away in just a very short time. So I phoned him back. And I, I said, uh, so when can we get together? When can I come see you? And he said, well, you know, Vince, it was jaundice I had. It was not liver cancer. And then all of a sudden, the urgency to make sure that he was right with God was gone. It was no longer necessary because he was going to get better from the jaundice. I remember watching a classic movie called, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Actor George Clooney, who does a great job, well, he and his two his uh, compatriots were about to be hung. And they were standing by the tree with the ropes around their neck as that hard sheriff was about to hang them for their, their crimes. And George Clooney prayed a very heartfelt prayer to God. And he asked God for a miracle to save them. And they were saved because all of a sudden as they were flooding this valley, there was just a wall of water that came along. And, and they were saved. And as they popped up out of the water of this valley that had flooded... His two guys popped up with him, and George Clooney said, You know, it really wasn't God that saved us after all. It's all scientific. They were planning to flood this valley, and it was just fortunate that that came along before they dropped us with the ropes around our neck. And while that's just a movie, I found it humorous, but there's a truth in that as well. That that's something like deathbed repentance of the man that had wanted me, to come and talk to him about his soul. And when they find out everything is done, God, if you'll just save me, you know, I'll live my life for you. But when that happens, then so often the repentance is so short-lived. And so the battles we face are serious battles, but we need to be prepared. Because the battle does belong to the Lord. The answer to life's difficulties and problems That's a question. And the people said, the Lord. That's the answer. One of the tragedies of our human nature is that we can think, we think that we can solve our problems on our own. Let's remember that Jesus said, it is the truth that shall set you free. Notice he didn't say our lives would be completely painless. Or problem-free, because that is never the case. The battle cry for the Christian should be, as what Jesus did when he faced such a terrible test in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew the horror of what was coming upon him. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. Very often in this life, It's a pop quiz. The problems and the difficulties, the tests, 
comes out of the blue, unannounced. There's no time for preparation. Suffering and problems are normal for the Christian life. But it is very important for us to understand that even though this be true, there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end to whatever problem or difficulty that you may be facing at this particular time in your life. Underline this fact in your mind. Somehow, some way, if you trust in God, he will get you through whatever the test or the problem may be. You will never be given more than you can handle. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As we drove along this morning, all of a sudden a memory came to my mind from the dim past, and I asked Stacy if she remembered this, but some little kids, I don't remember where this was, but some little kids were playing and they said to the others, don't worry, I have your back. I thought how great that is. I have your back. Well, guess what? Christ has your back. You see, the war has already been won in this spiritual battle we face. That's the message of the New Testament, and particularly of the book of Revelation. While the battle has been won, the battle still goes on. Every day is game day, because we are in a spiritual battle that has eternal consequences. We need to remember that Christianity is not a religion. It's not something we do. Christianity is a way of life. It is what we are, what we become and are becoming. It's trusting our Savior, Jesus Christ, every day and in every circumstance that we may face in life. It's remembering to pray for guidance, not only for ourselves, but for others who also face the battle with us. It's to kind of live the kind of life where we try to give and serve, rather than have things given to us, rather than being served ourselves. We need to look for ways to give to others and to serve the Lord. In the midst of the storms of life, or the fury of the attack of the evil one, as we sang in that old hymn this morning, remember, the battle does belong to the Lord. In the face of a fearsome enemy, remember David, the man after God's own heart. And I want to go back, as I close, to 1 Samuel chapter 17 beginning in verse 36. And this is where David comes before Saul and finds out that that Goliath has been taunting his armies for quite some time. 
David says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now flip over to verse 47. David says, in front of Israel's army, in front of the Philistine army, as Goliath has come out in his battle armor and it describes what a fearsome sight he really was on the battlefield, David stands up before all these witnesses and here's what he says. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on the head, forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. See, when God is in the camp and on your side, you are in the majority. The battle has been won. If you are a Christian, you are on the conquering side. Satan and all his demonic hosts will not be able to claim you, because the battle is the Lord's. And as God's children, we are called to remain faithful to the end of this life, to receive the crown of life.